this text verse by verse, and uh, we want to pick up in verse uh, 5 this morning. Um, I will add the word charity. I will add the word charity in the beginning of it um, because it is the uh, it is the sense of what Paul is dealing with here. So, charity, as it's mentioned in verse four, uh, but in verse five says, "Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own is her own is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil." And so we're looking at verse five this morning, and we have looked at the first two statements. It, Charity doth not behave itself unseemly, and charity seeketh not her own. Uh, and this morning we want to pick up uh, where we left off last week with charity is not easily provoked. Now, here is the question we need to ask ourselves, and we ought to be asking ourselves questions as we're reading and thinking through the scriptures. Uh, what did the author that wrote this mean by this word or that word? And so the question this morning is, what did Paul mean when he used the word provoked? If you look it up under the Strong's Concordance or if you have a Thayer's Bible dictionary, you will see that the first definition that shows up uh, in the word provoke means to urge. And you might ask yourself the question, what does that actually mean, to urge? The Both Strong's and Thayer's goes on and expand the meaning of it, but the Greek word means to urge. It is used in a positive way in the Scripture, and it is used in a negative way. Paul is using it here in a negative way. But let's take a moment and look up the, uh, the way that it is used in a positive way. Go back to book uh, to the book of Acts, or go yeah back in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and chapter seventeen. In the book of Acts, chapter seventeen, Paul is relaying his uh, his struggles while he was in the city of Athens, and in Acts chapter seventeen, in verse sixteen. Um, the scripture says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given uh, to idolatry. Now, the English translators did not put the word provoked here in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, but they defined the Greek word that is translated provoked in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. What do you think it is the word here? Stirred. His spirit was stirred. So to urge, his spirit was stirred when he saw the idolatry. This is a positive thing. Children of God, those who are Christians, ought to be stirred up over that which is wrong or going wrong around them. It is used in a positive way again in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. So go over to the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 24. Hebrews 10 in verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24, Paul writing here says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. 
here in Hebrews 24, we are to be involved in provoking, in a positive way, love and good works among the children of God. And, of course, the very next verse, Paul deals with the good work of not forsaking the assembly of yourself together. Provoking one another in a positive way, urging one another in a positive way toward love and good works. And so it is used positively in, in a positive way in the book, in, in the scriptures. But when we come to 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, it is used in a negative way. It is used in a negative way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it has the negative not, is not easily provoked. Uh, and here it is defined as to be, the word provoked here, as to be irritated, uh, to scorn or to despise, um, to make yourself angry or to burn with anger or to arouse anger in yourself or to be exasperated in the midst of a situation. And all of these words that I've just used in English are part of the definition of the word as how it is used in the Greek. You could look all that up in the Strong's Concordance and in the Thayer's Bible Dictionary. So when Paul is talking about love or charity not being easily provoked, he is dealing with the fact that biblical love is not easily stirred up to become angry or roused to be irritated. Provocation then may be defined as the calling forth from within. Remember, everything comes from the inside out on the child of God. Calling forth from within some sinful emotion or passion. Calling it forth, urging it for, forward. It may be produced by some negative external circumstances. Something happens on the outside that urges it to come out, affects us. We are all affected by things on the outside of us, and what is on the inside sometimes comes out. So provocation may also then be defined or summarized as the evil inside of us. If we're a Christian, we know from personal experience, but from Scripture, that there is a remaining part of Adam there. There is a remaining part of evil inside of us. The evil inside of us coming out, but in response to the evil or supposedly evil on the outside of us. Paul, in a positive way, is provoked from the evil that is on the outside of him. And children of God become provoked in a negative way by something that happens to them. So, provocation may, may be anything from a, a word hastily spoken to an, an anger that actually strikes out in malice against an individual. So, from, from a word spoken in haste all the way out to anger that leads to malice. Provocation fits in that whole definition. Paul is saying that the person who is a true Christian should not be easily aroused to anger or resentment. That's what he's saying here. Not easily brought 
to a sharpness of temper, not quick to allow things to stir him to anger or resentment. That which provokes one person, we need to understand, may not always provoke another. Uh, different character traits and circumstances of life may produce a provocation in one person and the other person, faced with exactly the same thing, may not be touched at all by it. And, uh, and so everyone is different and the things that happen to us in the course of our life produce in us different reactions. And so Paul is dealing with a church here that's made up of Jews and he is dealing with a church here that's made up of Gentiles. Jews coming from a religion they believed was God-given, even though it was a man-made religion by the time uh, uh, this is written. And Gentiles coming out of pagan religions, this church particularly at Corinth, worshiping idols, also Ephesus, worshiping idols. And so these two groups of people in the same church, in the same assembly, each one from different backgrounds, each one provoked by different things based upon their upbringing and understanding of the scriptures. The opposite of being easily provoked is nurturing a calmness of spirit rather than being hasty in spirit or in word. Nurturing a calmness of spirit rather than being hasty in spirit and word. Being cool-headed instead of hot-headed. Being cool-headed instead of hot-headed. Something is said, you don't always have to respond in a hot-headed way or a negative way. You just can be, let it happen. Being patient with others in various situations, in various situations. Some of us can be patient in situations where others cannot be. And so each one dealing with that in their own hearts. Being serious-minded or sober-minded rather than losing control of your emotions. I believe that there is nothing more important in the Christian, whether they are young or whether they are old, whether they are a young man or whether they're an old man, whether they're a young woman or whether they're an old woman. There is nothing more important than being sober-minded. In fact, you study the scriptures and you're going to find the phrase sober-minded referring to Christians at every level of their Christian life. Sober-minded means that you are not under the control of your emotions. But you have control over your emotions. Christian traits that help a person to be more loving rather than easily provoked starts out, the, the list starts out with humility. I think there's a, a uh, misunderstanding of how humility works in our lives, but still, if we are in the practice of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and waiting for him to do for us what only he can do, then we are learning the process of being humble. Humility is this ability to pour contempt on all our pride. That songwriter, Isaac Watts, when he said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss 
and pour contempt on all my pride. And so uh, the ability within ourselves to stamp down and put out the fires of pride, uh, if we do that, we'll not become easily provoked when someone steps on, on our toes with their words and their actions. Being more ready to humble yourselves than to protect yourself or to defend yourself. I've been around a lot of Christians that have been hurt. And one of the first things that happen is that they, they defend themselves on every hand. Nothing can be said without it becoming offensive to them. And they set up this wall of defense to protect themselves so they will not get hurt again. And if that is where you are at this morning, you will be easily provoked. Uh, you will not be easily provoked by others if you are simply in the place of what God allows coming into my life is going to be okay with me. Humility is one of the key traits in not being easily provoked. The second key trait in Christians regarding not being easily provoked is faith. Now you may wonder in your mind right now, how, what does that have to do with not being easily provoked? What does faith have to do with not being easily angered or roused? The Bible teaches us that we walk by faith and not by sight. The whole of our Christian walk is supposed to be a walk of faith. That is, it's supposed to be a walk where we trust God with our life. We have entrusted our soul to him to keep it for eternal, uh, for his eternal purposes. But it is also, the Christian life is also a walk of faith where we have actually entrusted our life, the soul of it, all of it, into his, into his care. So an abiding faith in God and his promises, and I have labored to sort of press upon you over the months that I have been here that the promises of God will help you if you begin believing them and living according to what they say. And abiding faith in God and his promises will help you to trust God more. It'll help you to trust God more than you trust yourself. It'll help you to trust God more than you trust your thoughts or your opinions. And may help us not to be so easily provoked when things do not go our way. And the way we had hoped that they would. We come back to the place where David came when he was driven out of Jerusalem by Absalom. And uh, one Benjamin, Benjaminite, Benjaminite, a man from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, was casting stones and dust and dirt at him. And cursing him and saying that he deserved all uh, that was happening to him uh, because of, of what he had done to Saul and to Saul's uh, sons. By the way, he hadn't done anything to them. God did. But nonetheless, what he had done to Saul and Saul's uh, sons, and he was getting what he deserved. And some of the young men around David said, you know, they pulled their swords out of their sheaths and they said to David, um, you know, let, let us take off his head. And, and David uh, was often grieved by the quickness of those 
the anger that aroused around those that were around him. And he said, leave him alone. And you remember the story. What does he say? It is the Lord. It is the Lord. Faith looks at the circumstances and says, this is God. This is God in the midst of this. The third aspect that I believe will help us to understand how not to become easily provoked is the word pity. It's not a word that is often used in the English language anymore, but it is an important aspect of love. As we love one another, we are to be ready to pity each other. Now, that's not a bad thing, and you may think that it is, that someone pities you, and it's used in the English language today as a real negative, but actually it's a good thing that some would look upon you and see the struggle that you're in or the, the battle that you're in and actually take pity upon you and pray for you and seek to do what they can to help you. The fourth thing is self-control. It goes back to what I said earlier about sober-minded I don't believe there's anything more important in the Christian life than self-control. I understand the place of Christian love. I understand the place of Christian service. I understand the place of uh, a lot of other words used to define Christianity. But I don't believe there's anything more important in the Christian life than self-control. Self-control in the world, because the world hates Christianity, and self-control in our family, as we keep control of ourselves, uh, we men, for our wife's sake and for our children's sake, and self-control in the Lord's assembly. Probably the best remedy for being easily provoked is self-control. Self-government. When I say self-government, it means you govern yourself. You govern yourself. You govern your own passions. You govern yourself. You take control of yourself in difficult situations and be sober-minded. That's the New Testament word. I've been in many situations where I have listened to people uh, whose voices were raised uh, and where I sat quiet. I want to be in control of myself. I don't necessarily care. Please don't take this in the wrong way. I don't necessarily care sometimes what's going on around me. I'm more concerned how I'm going to respond to that. Now, I am concerned about what's going on around me. But the more important thing is how am I going to respond in the midst of that. And so those who have practiced, and this does not happen by accident. Sober-minded is, self-control is a practice of Christianity. And it should begin very early in our Christian life. Those who have practiced self-control over all areas in their Christian life will be more likely to be able to control of their emotions when they are faced with things. 
and thus not be easily provoked um, by offenses of others, not be easily provoked by the circumstances that are developing in front of them. If we don't have control in other areas of our life, then we will not have control over emotions when we are provoked, okay? When we face a situation, we will become provoked. That means we look at the Christian life as a whole, not as this compartment or that compartment or this thing, but as a whole. Is my life as a Christian, is it defined as one who takes control of himself? What if I fall into sin, Brother Pat? What if I fall into that same sin a thousand times? Rise up, get control of it. Rise up, get control of it. It's your responsibility in your life for your Christianity and for your Christian sake. Christians face um, conflicts. They face disturbances. They face irritations in their life. And self-control helps you to be able to keep those things in focus, whether it is the world trying to provoke you, whether it is Satan trying to provoke you, whether it is a young Christian that doesn't understand something, uh, doing something to provoke you, or whether it is whatever the circumstance makes no difference. Um, laboring to try to keep things in perspective. Uh, for my Christian life, uh, I boil things down to what I believe are essential. If I am going to make an argument with you, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but an argument with you from the scriptures, I'm going to say A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. It's, this is the sum and substance of it. Now, we may be all over the place, or you may be all over the place, but I'm going to come back to ABC 123. Because I want things in my life to be governed by a proper perspective. And so I have trained myself to think through whatever situation I'm in and evaluate that situation on the basis of what is the real issue here. And uh, those disturbances and irritations should not be allowed to control my life or my attitude. If I am in control of my life, it will help me to eliminate resentment. It will help me to, in, to eliminate anger. Uh, it will help me to eliminate uh, bitterness. And it will help me to eliminate being easily provoked. Self-control, sober-minded. It is part of loving people. You love people on the basis of a control that I have over my heart. That I am not easily provoked. Restrain yourself and you will not have to confess your sin of provocation. All right? your sin of anger or your sin of resentfulness if we restrain ourselves. But all of us know that we have fallen in these areas. And so what do we do? We rise back up. We search for a way to get control. And we go forward in the realm of self-control. If we bring our feelings, our thoughts, our words, our looks, 
<laughs> and our actions under control, uh, we are less likely to see them on public display. Now, all of us have publicly displayed our sin. We cannot, none of us in this room can say that I have lived my Christian life in such a way as my sin has not been on public display. Okay? On one time or another, whether that public means in the front of one brother or one sister or in the front of the whole assembly or in the front of a Bible conference or whatever, makes no difference, uh, public display. Okay? And so bringing yourself back to a sober-minded, sober-thinking control of your emotions is what is biblical. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, I use this verse continually in counseling. Philippians 4.8. If you want to memorize a verse, there it is. Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are true. And he gives a whole list of other things and he says, think on these things. Think on these things. At the end of the day, when I am alone with God, my thoughts before my God are, is this true? Because I'm going to think on what is true. I'm going to think upon what is righteous. I'm going to think upon, I want my thoughts governed by what is true. Is this true? I'm not going to live my life based upon the thoughts of others. I'm going to live my life based upon what is true, what is righteous, what is just. And so governing your mind and heart so that you're not easily provoked brings you back in the time of failure to the place where you seek to control your thoughts. And to bring your thoughts under control, you have to have a standard of what is right. It cannot be your emotions. It cannot be your heart. You know why? The heart is deceitful above all. Your heart is, is everywhere because it's, that's the emotion. That's the seed of the emotions of your... cannot be that. What is true in the life of a child of God is the Word of God. And you go back to it, and you go back to it, and you go back to it, and you sin, and you go back to it. And you go back to it, and you go back to it, and you fail, and you go back to it, and you go back to it, and you back, because that's true. Whatsoever things are true, I'm going to think on these things, okay? This is especially important. When we are tired, a lot of people in this assembly expending a lot of physical energy, a lot of hours being spent on work family, caring for this or that or the other. When we are tired, we are very prone to emotions. When we're emotionally drained because of some circumstance, when we are spiritually weary from being involved in a spiritual battle, we have the um, greater ability to become irritable. You need only ask my wife. Or me, if that is not true. Sometimes medication or 
sickness may cause us to be more susceptible to things and become more easily provoked. When that happens, we need to be aware of it. Whatever the circumstance is, no outward situation acting upon us should be allowed to continue without a strenuous effort made against it in prayer and sometimes even in fasting to overcome it so that we are brought back into the place again where we are in self-control. Now, uh, it's, I'm almost out of time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take just a few minutes. I, I've labeled this next section some rules which help us eliminate being easily provoked. Some people don't like the word rules. Uh, all right, some guidelines if you don't like the word rules, okay? Some guidelines taken, I believe, from the scriptures. First, make it a matter of personal conviction. One of the things I've heard uh, among Christians since I was saved in 1975 is, it's my conviction, that, and then you give a whole list of things, okay? And, and nothing wrong with that. I have convictions too. If you want to know them, simply ask me. I'll tell you. But make it a matter of conviction that anger and resentfulness and a bad temper and ill feelings toward a brother or sister is sin. We cannot pretend that it is otherwise. It is sin. And the idea that we can sort of sweep it under a rug is unbiblical. It is sin. And it must be dealt with in our hearts. Guard against selfish feelings in all that we do. The root of being easily provoked is selfishness. It is. Too much concern about me. Not enough concern about others. Avoid judging a situation based upon what you think it is. A lot of times you don't have all the information. A lot of times. Do not put as much importance upon the failures of others as you do upon their successes. Now, in saying that, I am not saying that we sort of pretend like people don't sin. Okay? If the scriptures clearly reveal something as being sin, then we need to address it as sin. As simple as that for me, and it may not be that simple to you, but it is as simple as that to me. If I am to confess my sin, I need to know what that sin is. And the only way I'm going to know what that sin is is to go to God's word and search it out. And God is going to show me in his word what sin is. And once I know, then I can confess it, and I can deal with it, and I can put into practice those things that help me to keep from doing that. For me, it is as simple as that. If I say that is sin, I usually have a scripture to back that up. Make it a part of your convictions that failures and infractions of others can be easily overlooked and can be covered by love. But sin must be addressed. Love covereth a multitude of sin. When do we cover and when do we deal with it? And you have a responsibility at some level 
As a pastor, I have a different responsibility at a different level regarding that. Do not practice complaining when you are disappointed. This is, this is very important. Don't practice complaining when you are being opposed or when someone has offended you or you are disappointed with a situation. Bible tells us very plainly, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Philippians 2.14. That's what the scripture says. Do all things. It doesn't say do uh, some of the things you do as a Christian, do some of the things you do in the church, but do all things without murmurings and disputings. Philippians 2.14. The practice of complaining should be eliminated from your life at every level. At every level. Because all that does, murmuring and complaining, all that does is put you in a situation that builds a case for you to become easily offended, easily provoked. And... The more that we complain as Christians, the more we will find proof that we have the right to be provoked and we have the right to be angry. If someone comes along who does not understand our situation and says something or does something which may not agree with us, if we begin complaining or if we have been involved in complaining, then we will be easily provoked by them. My last point in this is the, uh, in this rules or guidelines to help you help us to prove not be easily provoked is pray. And you say, Brother Pat, what do you mean? We ought always to pray. That's what Luke 18 says in every situation. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for, but there are two things that I know that we can pray for with regard to this. One is for grace. Grace is the power of God in the heart, manifest in the life. And then pray for the truth of God's word to be revealed in my life, in your life. The truth of God's word to be revealed. Pray that what God has said will show up will show up. And when it doesn't, we deal with it in ourselves. We repent. We ask for forgiveness or whatever. But we pray that God word, God's word will show up in our life. That's what we want. Well, that's what I want. And I hope that's what you want. Well, amen. Father, bless your word. Help us as your children. We, with the Apostle Paul, uh, can say, Lord, of a truth, we have not yet apprehended it.